Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, you've you've kept the uh, extra Halloween candy out of the studio. I appreciate appreciate you doing that because I, I've at least eaten two bags in the past few days. Well, actually, that's one of the nicest things about Halloween is because they put the bite-sized candy on sale. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and uh, most of us chocolate eaters, uh, we tend to buy those even if we don't have any trick-or-treaters. That's one of the sad things about uh, where I live uh, and have, I've, you know, I've lived in Raleigh for, God, you know, twenty over twenty five years, and uh, of course, you know, I'm from North Carolina. My hometown is Kannapolis, North Carolina, which is a pretty large mill town, uh, not too far from Charlotte. Um, but I've been here for many, many years, uh, and our home is, you know, there's it's pretty good distance from one house to the next because they're acre lots. Well, guess what? The kids don't want to be going to homes that are spread out like that. They want to go to the subdivisions that are 15 feet apart. That's right. So more candy. (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I feel for all the parents out there uh, that have to deal with with the aftermath of all that candy, uh, but uh, at least for the, you know, with their children. Uh, but for the adults like us, uh, it gives us uh, an opportunity to have um, a good bit of candies in stock <laughs> so that when we get that little urge, it's just a nice bite-sized piece of chocolate that's uh, just wonderful. So that is one of the nice things about Halloween. I hope everyone had a safe uh, Halloween this past week. Um, anyway, uh, last weekend, uh, I actually uh, had a board meeting Um for the William Black Lodge, which is uh, in Montreat, North Carolina, and it's a nonprofit board because the the um, uh, the whole focus is to offer uh, respite for pastors and church workers uh, at a nominal cost uh, in Montreat, which is heaven on earth. Quite frankly, it's just one of the most wonderful places. Uh, the lodges was founded by the Presbyterian Church, by the Synod of North Carolina, which no longer exists. It's now the Mid-Atlantic Synod, if you will. But it's a wonderful uh, place uh, for groups to go uh, for a lot of different uh, purposes. So it's not limited to pastors and church workers in terms of those who can go. But it it is... um, uh, but we do try to to make sure that our pastors and church workers uh, can stay there at a nominal cost. So it's focused particularly on small church pastors who can't afford because their congregations can't afford to pay them very much, if any. And so uh, we do focus on those small church pastors uh, to make sure that uh, if they have the time – uh, to take a little respite uh, that uh, we can offer it to them. So it, it's a, a very meaningful thing. But what I'm getting to is that uh, one of uh, my board members uh, was talking, um, you know, it's like, well, I voted. And I was going, well, that's wonderful. And I said, what'd you do on the amendments? <laughs> and she said, well, I voted against most of them, but I actually voted for two. And I said, hmm, well, let's, you know, you want to talk about it? And actually she did. And so uh, from that conversation, I wanted to um, 
at least uh, talk about it because, you know, truthfully, there is a bipartisan effort from very prominent Republicans and very prominent Democrats and those of us who are not very prominent but uh, stay, try to stay educated on things to to defeat all of these amendments as being unnecessary. And, of course, people will be glad that this is the last time that I talk about it uh, because the election's next Tuesday. And so Tuesday is your last opportunity, and today is the last opportunity to vote early. Uh, and I'd recommend voting early so you don't have to stand in line. Uh, that makes a difference. And I would also say this, you know, um, in this country – majority rules. And so even if you're out there saying, you know, I just don't agree with Bill Alexander on these amendment things, that's fine. Vote anyway. Majority rules. You know, it's it's about everybody getting out to vote and the vote not being limited, but we get everybody that can walk or crawl to the polls to vote. Um, that's healthy for uh, government in North Carolina. But okay, there are a couple amendments that are pretty innocuous. You know, they sound okay. You know, like why wouldn't you vote for it? And so I wanted to just mention it. All right. So what's the First Amendment on your ballot? And I will tell you, I've already voted. <laughs> Early voting is so nice. It's, you know, from my perspective, expanding that would be a good thing rather than restricting it. Uh and it's unfortunate that early voting has been restricted this year to some degree and because and, uh, from my perspective, the more people who can vote, the better, no matter how they vote. That's, it's just an important right that we need to exercise. Okay, so First Amendment, it's simply the right to hunt and fish. Sounds pretty reasonable to me, but the problem is – that there's no underlying detail on what that means. I mean, all of us who fish or hunt in North Carolina recognize that we have the right to hunt and fish already. It doesn't need to be in the Constitution because we clearly have that right. Um, now, so what does this amendment mean? And you have to understand nobody knows because there's no explanation for it. Does it mean that the Fish and Wildlife Commission uh, can no longer regulate hunting and fishing? Uh, it certainly could mean that, um, but I don't – I hope not because we just don't know. But even though, even though uh, those of us who may not like everything that the uh, Fish and Wildlife Commission rules – we understand why it's necessary, why you should hunt in uh, uh, certain times or why if you can only ta fish for, uh, and take one red drum a day uh, and it has to be a certain length, uh, you know, those are regulations uh, that it's important because that way there will be red drum next year when you want to fish, <laughs> you know. Uh, or, or uh, when it's time to hunt and time not to hunt for a particular game. Anybody that's a hunter or a fisherman understands why some regulations are necessary. Does this right mean that uh, you can go outside your back door and carry um, and, sh and shoot the deer that's eating your wife's garden, uh, even though uh, the bullet – 
uh, that you use um, might end up a mile away and kill somebody in the process. It, it, does it mean that towns and cities can't regulate where, um, you know, that you might not want to be able to hunt uh, in a residential area? Does it mean that those regulations go away or does it mean that towns and cities cannot regulate it, that it can only be regulated at the state level? Uh, I mean, the bottom line is what does it mean? And we don't know. But the bottom, the, the primary reason – oh, and I can also talk about fishing uh, in a big way. My wife loves to fish. But the real controversy in fishing on the coast is the um, conflict between the commercial fishermen and the sports fishermen. You know, and so no matter where where you fall on it, there's a huge conflict between the rights and obligations of both both those groups. Does this amendment mean that? Does, is it being gamed so that it helps the sports fishermen over the commercial fishermen, or to help the commercial fishermen over the sports fishermen? I don't know, and nobody else can tell you either. So, it's the, again, is it necessary? Uh, is it appropriate? And from my perspective, it's not. So it's just one of those feel-good amendments that's there designed to get you, uh, you know, to put you to sleep. And and bottom line is it's totally unnecessary. So, okay, what was the other one that my friend voted for? Uh, it was the one that's designated Marcy's Law. In other words, the one for victims' rights. We've seen lots of advertisements for them. But what what is underlying that? And we probably have a better feel for what's underlying that on that particular amendment than any of the others. But the bottom line is, is it necessary? In North Carolina, we already have victims' rights in the law and notifications. Now, is it per- done perfectly? No. Why? Because the legislature has underfunded our court system. You know, you will not find a district attorney in the entire state of North Carolina that says, I mean, they may say that victims' rights are important, but they will also say the legislature's not given me enough money to actually do what the law requires to be done. And um, and I think the studies have shown that the, the administrative cost of, uh, of the law, which we already have, is about $11 million a year. But the bottom line is the legislature's not giving the district attorneys $11 million a year now. So will a constitutional amendment change that? No, it won't. And, you know, one of the things about the swamp, the legislature, is the fact that even if a judge orders the legislature to fund the um, the district attorneys in order to be able to notify uh, folks properly, guess what? Um the legislature's famous for for putting money in the front door and at the same time taking money out the back door so the district attorneys have no more money. And it's unfortunate, but uh, the legislature has intentionally underfunded the court system at all levels. In other words, 
bottom line is there are not enough judges. In other words, they could fund more judges, but they don't. Uh, there's not enough assistant district attorneys. Uh, they need more and, and to process the cases. They don't have it. There are actually not enough courtrooms. There's not enough administrative help in the district attorney's office. And this is true statewide because the legislature underfunds the judicial system. And it's um, it's it's horrible. But, I mean, you know, constitutionally – um, you, you know, um, uh, the criminals, if you will, uh, or some people who may be innocently charged have a right to counsel. But is that funded? No. It's, it is funded, but it's so underfunded, it's pathetic. You know, people think, know that if, if you can afford a good attorney and you privately pay attorney, you get better representation. Now, why is that? It's because the legislature underfunds the courts and uh, underfunds the attorneys who represent. They either underfund, um, you know, when sometimes, well, I, I don't want to have to go into detail, but the bottom line is, is that the attorneys uh, are lucky if they're paid, you know, $30 an hour for their time when they're court appointed attorneys or um, you know, whereas uh, a normal charge might be two or three hundred dollars an hour for an attorney's services, particularly in litigation. So, who are, who's going to do the court-appointed work? Well, it's going to be a very young attorney that's inexperienced, and they'll have a much higher caseload that they can handle for that reason because it's all underfunded. The judges don't have enough money to pay the attorneys a, a living wage. Uh, when they uh, do court-appointed work. So basically, it's a place where either attorneys are there just to get the experience uh, or not, or there's um, a group of folks that are charged with um, uh, with representing everybody, and they're underfunded as well. They don't have enough attorneys to do it, so everybody has a caseload that's three times more than they can handle. The bottom line is the entire court system is underfunded. And so will Marcy's Law actually be helpful to the court system in North Carolina? And the answer is we've already got it. So if you put it in the Constitution, is it really going to make a difference? And the answer is no, because if, even if the legislature funds it, they'll take the money out the back door and you're, you've got the same problem. Now, what's the biggest problem with Marcy's Law? It's actually keeping up with the victims, you know, because victims move, their telephone numbers change, their address changes, their email address changes. Uh, And the bottom line is, in order to have an effective, you have to have some significant administrative support. It's not that there's not an effort made to contact people. It's the fact that it's hard to find people, you know, five years later, ten years later. Or, or whatever. And so it's, it can be very difficult. So there's just some, and those are two of the more innocuous. The, the most heinous of these, uh, things has to do with, uh, the bi, you know, that what they call the bipartisan, make the, uh, ethics commission bipartisan. Well, what they're really doing is making it 50-50 so that it can't do anything. They're taking off the independent people on the commission, and that would result in nothing being done 
so that the legislature can actually control or keep themselves from being investigated for the wrongdoing that they occasionally do. Um, not good. Now, what about where the legislature gets to appoint our judges? Well, the bottom line is they already have a special session planned after the election. So if they win that one, what are they going to do? In my opinion, they're going to appoint three new judges to the Supreme Court, and then they're going to appoint their cronies to the Supreme Court so that they can keep the Supreme Court from ruling against them, as they have done numerous times in the last couple of years. So, again, we are in a constitutional crisis where the legislature is trying to take over the court system, uh, abandon our separation of powers. You know, there's just – it's – so I can I can just simply say educate yourself and then vote your conscience, but please vote. Yeah, no matter what you believe, which side you fall on, get out and vote this Tuesday. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find plenty more about Bill at WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, uh, we're going to uh, change topics here a little bit and we're going to focus on scams and financial abuse. What, what brings us to this world? <laughs> well, it, this is important. And it's and it it's important for all of us at any age, but it's um, it's most important uh, for seniors, uh, and secondarily, it's very critical for minors. Um, uh, but the, both ends of the spectrum are, are are folks who are taken advantage of, and it's and the worst kind of financial abuse. Uh, if you really get down to it, uh, come from loved ones. It's like it's sort of like the legislature. You expect them to uh, do what's in your best interest, what's in the best interest of the state, uh, and to take care of things for you. And, and then they knife you in the back. So it's the kind of uh, deal when you uh, have people that you expect to be able to take care of you and do what's in your best interest, disappoint. And truthfully, most of the time when they're doing that disappointing, they're breaking laws. They're breaking criminal laws uh, because what I'm really talking about is when your loved ones steal from you. And, um, of course, it's one that seen, that's one of the reasons that seniors don't want to give up control as they get older because they can't, they may not trust their children, uh, to basically do what's in their best interest with their money. And, uh, you know, I believe in control as long as possible. Now, there is a time when folks, because of uh, typically because of um, their brain slows down, uh, which is a natural aging process, or because uh, they have some issues with dementia of one kind or another where they don't think clearly, 
uh, or sufficiently clearly to really manage their property. Well, that's that's important. So this is why it's important for folks to make good decisions on who their agents will be, sometimes known as your power of attorney or attorney in fact, so that you can choose a person that you know or hope will not take advantage of you. Um, but the bottom line is that there is theft going on where loved ones actually steal from you. Um, and it can happen to seniors and it can happen to minors. Um, the, the bottom line is is that uh, parents uh, – let's say that a, a child um, who's five years old is in an accident and there's a personal injury settlement and the child gets a half million dollars. Well, is that half million dollars going to be there when the child turns 18? And in many cases, the answer is no, because the parents have already spent a bunch of it. Uh, now, sometimes that spending can be in the child's best interest, uh, but oftentimes it's because the parent needs a new car, and they can justify that car by saying, well, I have to, you know, take my child to school or whatever. But uh, Or it can be, oh, we need a new house because it has to have a place for this child to live. But the bottom line is by the time the child gets to be 18, the money's gone or a lot of it's gone. There ain't much left. And, and that's really sad when that happens. But it's because the parents are actually breaking the law oftentimes. They're breaching their fiduciary obligation to do what's in the child's best interest. Now – that can also happen for seniors, and that's where I'm focused is in the senior world, if you will, because if you make a poor choice on who your agent – I mean, for instance, some people just say, well, I'm going to let my son do it because he's the oldest of my children, and that's a bad way to make that choice. Or I'm going to let my daughter do it because she lives close by and my other children don't live close by. That, now, that may be okay – but the real key is, is the child trustworthy? Um, and, and some people are and some people are not. And if there's any um, uh, question, then the bottom line is that child should not be chosen. Uh, if it's a second or third marriage, should your spouse be your agent? Because obviously that could be a conflict of interest if the spouse is interested in acquiring your assets uh, over the interest of your children, even if you have a prenuptial agreement, if you choose the wrong agent. So is there hope for you? Uh, let's say you're on your third marriage and you have children by a previous marriage. Uh, is there a way to avoid that problem? Yes. You could appoint your spouse as – but you could also appoint one of your children as a co-agent where they have to act together in order to uh, take care of, of issues where you can't manage them yourself. Or let, same thing's true for your children. Let's, let's say that you have one child that's close by and, and actually does help out a lot and you have uh, some faith but not absolute faith in that child. Uh, well, you could appoint two of your children, again, to act together so that you can't 
be abused financially unless, guess what, the children conspire against you. Well, it's uh, it's not unusual for one person to take advantage, uh, but it is unusual for two people to agree to take advantage. <laughs> uh, that's what we call conspiracy. Um, but it's so important. Um, and, and here's the other sad, sad piece. It, um, uh, if if a child has full control and starts taking advantage because they can and money starts disappearing, which unfortunately happens, typically that conduct is criminal uh, because uh, – but more often than not, uh, mom doesn't want to call in the police uh, or the sheriff to investigate because they don't want to see their beloved child go to prison for stealing. And um, it's and oftentimes uh, the police won't do anything because they've had so many cases where mama charges them initially just to, you know, to, for a lesson's sake. And then when it comes to trial, they, they say, no, I'm not going to – I'm just not going to testify against my own child. And this happens so frequently. But what I want families to understand is – and part of the problem is the fact that oftentimes the child steals so much money that there's nothing left and the money's gone and, and there's not much you can do. There are civil remedies. Uh, in other words, the other children or the parent can potentially sue the wrongdoer uh, in civil court. Uh, now, it may or may not make a difference depending on whether there's money left to or property left to attach to try to make things right. But, you know, from my perspective, in every case of financial abuse, um, something should be done. And if it's not criminal, it, it needs to be civil. Um, now, you, you know, sometimes you, you have cases, and we see this in our Medicaid issues, where you have a child who's basically siphoned money off of their own. And so Medicaid would look at that as a gift to the child, even if it's theft. And so the only way Medicaid will look at it as theft and not a gift is if mama prosecutes. Uh, in other words, and so that, of course, can be a, uh, an important thing to be done under those circumstances um, because of that. So there's, but there's so many instances of, of um, where there is financial abuse uh, by family members. And so it, it is a very important issue to discuss with your lawyer uh, and to get good advice on how to make sure that um, you're choosing the right agent for yourself to avoid the possibility um, of financial abuse in your senior years. Yeah, you want to avoid that, and uh, you know it's kind of disturbing that these people exist, but um, you know it it exists, so you have to be prepared and protect yourself from it. Mm-hmm. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. News 
Radio 680 WPTF. This is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. You can find more about him at WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we are talking about scams and financial abuse. And Bill, to be uh, a part of a scam, really, uh, there, there has to be some level of trust involved. Uh, on on the part of the person being scammed, and you know, you you would think that family is probably the most trusted uh, mm-hmm. source for anyone, but you know, you, you just you have to protect yourself. Well, what I'm focusing on uh, this morning uh, is when family members take advantage, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, it's okay uh, recognizing that there's a problem. How? What are the steps you can take to at least put a barriers up so that that's less likely to happen? Um, so, bottom line is first the first things first is very self serving for me because I do this kind of work and I want everybody to come to me and let me help you with it. Okay, <laughs> but, so it really comes down to having uh, uh, while you're sharp mentally to select. Your agents, your powers of attorney, having and executing uh, a good power of attorney. And there are two types. There's a general durable power of attorney. And, of course, uh, those of my clients know that I prefer an advanced general durable power of attorney where it's even more important that you select the right agents. And then there's a healthcare power of attorney, a person who can make healthcare decisions for you when you can't communicate with your physician. Well, those two documents are extraordinarily important to every person and particularly to seniors. And as families change um, and the dynamics and your age and who's available to help you and things like that change, sometimes you need to change your powers of attorney. And truthfully, most seniors don't have an effective general durable power of attorney, particularly for asset protection planning, which can be very, very important to them. So the first thing is to select your own agents, and if you need to have co-agents to further protect yourself, then by all means, that's what you should do. And so the the so you do have to be careful particularly in situations where you have a successive uh spouse and children by previous marriages uh or uh when uh you're not absolutely sure of your children's motives uh the one particularly the ones who live close by uh and so one of the key act, uh factors in that is not necessarily how the child gets along with you, uh, but how do they get along with their siblings, with their brothers and sisters? Uh, Because if there's not trust among the brothers and sisters, then you probably have a problem and need to do a better job of selecting your agent rather than the most convenient agent. Um, Now, the other thing is for everyone in the family to stay connected uh, to seniors. In other words, um, frequent phone calls, uh, uh, frequent visits to make sure things are going well. And, of course, the parents love it when you call them and, and uh, visit. Uh, that's what they live for, frankly. So, you know, the more the merrier. That's really important for folks. Um, uh, you know, if they're – is a caregiver, whether there's, you know, whether it's uh, uh, someone in the family or not, 
um, making sure you stay up with the caregiver and make making those frequent visits. Uh, it's also helpful if there's um, not only the agent but other family members have access to uh, the banking records and so they can review what's going on in the bank accounts or in the investment accounts each month. And um, you might have to sign an additional special power of attorney to your other children for that. Uh, I've always said that in a family, transparency is really important and helpful. And what that basically means is that the information is shared in the family so that the other children will know what the agent is doing in terms of paying the bills and what investments are being made so that if something out of the ordinary uh, occurs in the bank account or in the investment account, uh, then it um, can be looked at and challenged. Um, and now, some parents set themselves up because instead of having a power of attorney, they actually put one of their children on the account as an owner. Uh, in other words, a joint account. And uh, truthfully, most of the time, joint accounts are set up as joint with right of survivorship, which basically means that that account belongs to the child upon your death and not necessarily to be shared with the other siblings. Well, more often than not, these are these accounts are set up for the convenience so that the child can write uh, the checks and pay the bills, not because there is an intention for the child to, to actually own the account, because the truth is, in some instances, they're more than happy to share it with their siblings when the parent dies, but they don't have to. And there are plenty of folks who say, no, mom intended for me to have this money. That's because I was doing this extra stuff for her, and she wanted me to have this specifically. So I'm sorry, but this is my money and not yours. And so, again, that's a planning issue where your attorney can help you um, uh, make sure that your accounts are set up properly so that it's less likely that you would be taken advantage of. The other thing, too, is that if, if a person can sign your account as your agent under your power of attorney, they have a legal duty, a fiduciary duty to do what you would do or what's in your best interest. And that means that they can't write themselves a check for $10,000 every month because that's what they want to do, not because that's what they should do. And there are other ways. Uh, if there is a family caregiver, having a care contract so it's clear what uh, is expected uh, and how much will be paid. Uh, another place uh, where people can be taken advantage of is where, well, I'm moving in with you, Mom. I think you should deed the house to me. And that's always the wrong way to go because the bottom line is, now, you can do a care contract where the person is fairly paid, and you can even secure it by a loan uh, with being secured by the home. But the problem is is that when the daughter moves in for that purpose – you don't know if uh, if if you're going to live uh, one month, two months, three months, twelve months, uh, five years, ten years. The bottom line is you don't know, and the child doesn't know either. And if you die within the year or two or three, and the child ends up with a house that's worth three hundred thousand dollars just simply for taking care of you for a year, is that fair to the whole family? 
Well, that's an obvious one. Absolutely not. Um, that That's what we call unjust enrichment. But if you set it up that way, then you've probably made a bad mistake. Now, the other contingency that's bad is if the other siblings see that one of them is being unjustly enriched, it basically causes uh, you to turn in your grave because your family never gets together again after that because there's spite and, and um, well, they're, they're just you just see families break up over who gets what uh, when you die. And it's really sad to see that, but it's your fault for having a bad plan in place. If you have a good plan, that's that kind of thing will not happen or should not happen. Yeah, taking those steps and thinking things out and communicating your wishes is, is just so important. And if you need help with any of this, uh, if it sounds interesting to you, you might want to schedule an appointment with Bill. You can do that by heading over to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. Or you can call the office at 919-256-7000, 919 919- Two five six seven thousand. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio six eighty WPTF. To Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. You can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander, and we're talking all about protecting yourself from financial abuse, Bill. And I know you've got a, a few more uh, topics that you want to, or a few more uh, items that you want to address with this. Well, this is a really important uh, topic. And, and of course, it really has to do, um, it, is, it just. Um, uh, it tells folks how good planning can be extremely meaningful because uh, so many of the things I'm talking about uh, would just totally shock seniors. It's like, really? I mean, I never thought of that. You know, so g- good counsel and planning uh, m- makes a huge, huge difference. And so, uh, a, a f- for instance, this is why it's the senior who should be the one who takes charge of of how they execute these documents. If a child is taking charge of it, then you need to be uh, extra careful, particularly if a child is setting themselves up as the sole agent without the um, uh, transparency with the other children. I think that's really important for folks to be aware of. Now, that doesn't mean it's bad in all circumstances. Sometimes that one child is the go-to person and the appropriate choice, but it's the decision of the senior, not the decision of the of the child. Now, what are some of the other things that can be done? Well, it's really important for someone other if you only have one child who's looking into it, then you better have at least setting up one of the other children, if assuming you have another child, um, to monitor your bank accounts and your investment accounts. Uh, now, you can also – there's um, a group called EverSafe, which is one word, E-V-E-R-S-A-F-E, uh, which can track your financial activity from your bank account and your investment account and then notify an advocate, 
whether it's a family member or not, but to notify an advocate of any uh, unusual withdrawals or unusual spending. Well, obviously, that's a safety measure that can be extremely helpful. Some uh, no-brainers are make sure that uh, money uh, that is supposed to come in is a a direct deposit um, as opposed to having where cash or uh, checks have to be, you know, taken to the bank. Uh, That obviously, if it's a direct deposit uh, on the positive side, then – much less possibility of financial abuse for that. Plus, it gets monitored, so that's important too. Um, and then for seniors not to sign documents that they don't understand. Truthfully, no one should be having a senior sign a power of attorney or a contract of any kind that they have no clue what's in that paper. So it's, and you know, truthfully, people are supposed to have the wherewithal to know what they're signing before they sign. But it, it's I know that people tell you this all the time, but it's an important concept uh, because, number one, the senior needs to be lucid enough to know what they're signing and why they're signing it uh, and what it does. Um, and one should never sign something that they don't understand, no matter what it is. I mean, that's just sort of the slam drunk. Uh, no-brainer kind of of things. But uh, the bottom line is people need to recognize that if they do poor planning that they can set up themselves for failure. And there's been lots and lots of uh, celebrities that have been taken advantage of, but you don't have to be rich to be taken advantage of. Uh, I mean, I've seen children still – Every last penny that a parent has, and once it's stolen, um, it's not there. It can't be used. I mean, there's not there to pay for the senior's care. And, uh, you know, sometimes mama will give it to you. And I've seen parents who are overly generous with their parents, uh, and they'll give it to their children before they'll spend it on their own food and safety. And and uh, but that's that's called being a parent. And if a parent is willing to do then that, so be it. But uh, and some children are more needy than others. But there are those children that will take it if they have the opportunity to do it. And we have to be vigilant to make sure that doesn't happen. Because the bottom line is it's important for seniors to stay in control of their money. And these are fam- – now, there's lots of we could talk about in terms of scams where it's not done by family members and where family members need to do many of these same things to avoid scams. Um, and, and we can talk about that at another time. Um, but one of the biggest things that folks can do for seniors is to cut off their credit. Call each credit bureau, freeze their credit, because it's far more difficult for scammers to use your uh, information against you if you have frozen your credit. That's, that's really an important one. Yeah, that's a great tip. And uh, if you want to schedule an appointment with Bill, please go online to WGALaw.com or call the office at 919-256-7000. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF.
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. I want to remind you that you can go online to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. There you can connect with Bill. Maybe you want to schedule an appointment about some of the topics that we discussed today. You can also register for Bill's free seminar if you or a loved one are going through a long term care crisis. This is a great opportunity for you to get free information. The next seminar is coming up on Wednesday, November 14th. Bill has three seminars that day. You can register for free online at WGALaw.com. You can also call 919-256-7000. And I also want to remind everyone that Bill also has a book available that you can pick up on Amazon. It is called Money Secrets with Bill and Mike. And uh, it's a great read, Bill. And folks can, again, pick that up on Amazon if they're looking for more great tips from you. Well, I appreciate that. And we'll look forward to hearing from you next week. Absolutely. We'll do this again next Saturday morning at 11. We hope you'll be here with us. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. On behalf of Bill Alexander, I am Jason Kong. Thank you so much for listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.